Hi there, I'm Claire Tregesser, an investigative reporter here at KPBS. And here we're trying something new. It's sort of a relaunch of the KPBS Investigates podcast. This is gonna give us a space to take a deeper dive into some of the issues we cover here at KPBS. So right now it's June, 2021, and the pandemic-related business restrictions are finally about to be lifted. I don't know if you can even remember back to the very beginning of the pandemic, but I think what a lot of us were feeling was that we all had no idea what to expect. And for me, one thing that I remember very early on was news about one of my favorite coffee shops, Project Rio Collective. Here's one of the owners, Tommy Walker. Project Rio Collective uh, started in 2017. The idea came up of creating a space that neighbors could get together and and hang out and get to know each other. It was owned by four families who wanted a community gathering place in their neighborhood of Paradise Hills. That's a lower income community where mostly people of color live. And after it opened, it really became that, a community gathering spot. It was always full of people on laptops, meeting over coffee. But at the very beginning of the pandemic, Project Rio Collective had to close. Now, jump forward all the way to the end of 2020. Finally, vaccines were on the horizon, and it really felt like we were going to come out of this thing. But there were still some businesses that couldn't hold on any longer. And one of those was A&B Sporting Goods in North Park. It had been in the same family for three generations, selling things like Little League uniforms and sports equipment. The owner, Greg Schloss, did his best to keep the doors open. I tried to keep a positive attitude and work my way through it, but... You know, I knew that that I was going to have to make a, a difficult decision. But he just couldn't make it any longer and closed. There are so many stories of what's happened to small businesses during the pandemic. How when they close, losses are felt by their owners, their customers, and their neighborhoods. But as a journalist, an investigative journalist, I always want to quantify these kinds of stories with numbers. So today on KPBS Investigates, I go on a quest for that data. And yeah, I do end up finding some numbers about how many businesses have closed, and those numbers are surprising. Also, to really dig in and better understand the struggles of local business owners behind those numbers, I introduce you to an entrepreneur who's been through a lot from openings and closings, to a struggle to get loans, to dealing with childcare, to the impact of racial protests on her business. All just in basically a little more than a year. Everything was perfect, and then the world stopped. More right after a quick break.
Hi, I'm Bill Hohen. And I'm Ted Hohen. Over the past 50 years, our family has brought many world-class dealerships to Carlsbad, including Mercedes-Benz, Porsche, Audi, Honda, Acura, Jaguar, and Land Rover. That's right. This year, we're celebrating 50 years in Carlsbad. So on behalf of the entire Hohen family, we want to thank San Diego. Throughout the years, we've taken tremendous pride in meeting and even exceeding our customers' automotive needs. We value the relationships with our clients and look forward to serving you for years to come. We invite you to visit one of the Hohen Carlsbad dealerships or hohenmotors.com. Okay, so to start, I'm going to introduce you to a woman named Veronica Densi. She owns a massage therapy business called NOLA in the East Village, but she didn't have a straight path to get there. My brother's a Marine, my dad is in the Navy, and um, I just knew I always wanted to be like a G.I. Joe, kind of a tomboy, you know? (laughs) Veronica is half Black, half Filipino, and she says her parents wanted her to go into the Navy, but she's scared of water, so she settled on the Army instead. I was in, and I was doing great, and I was like fast-tracking, high-speed, all that stuff. And um, during a deployment, I was injured, and um, that injury pretty much ended my career. I was med-boarded out of the military not too long after that. Um, So I came home, and um, I was an angry person. So she decided to try yoga. Lots of people deal with stress or anger with yoga, but during her first class, she just could not handle it. I struggled through the entire class and I was upset and angry. And um, the yoga instructor comes outside and he was like, you know, I'm also a massage therapist. He's like, I feel like you should try massage. He was like, massage has the same healing powers that yoga does. She tried it and loved it. And basically, her career in massage therapy was born. She started out working at a hotel chain, giving massages, but she says she's not good at working for other people. I was seven and a half months pregnant, and I came home one day, and I looked at my husband, and I'm like, we're starting a business. And he was like, what? When? Where? And I was like, now. I'm finding a place. Today. (laughs) And And I did, and he thought I was crazy, and I think he was kind of angry, too, but... He got over it. And for a while, things were going really well. Veronica kept building up her business and her family. She ended up having another daughter and eventually a third. She went from renting a room for her massage therapy at an acupuncture business to finally renting her own space in the East Village. Things were looking up. We got all our stuff in here. We moved in here. Everything was perfect. And then the world stopped. It was March 2020, the pandemic came, and everything was shut down. So that first shutdown, you know, no debate from me, you know, on it, no problem, not a big deal. I mean, it ended up being a really big deal. It was like seven or eight months, right? She spent all summer and fall going through the openings and closing cycle. She could open for a bit, get some clients in, but then the state would shut businesses like hers back down again. And she started to reach a point where she thought she might lose her business. I was considered self-care with 
nail studios and stuff, but um, I was trying to find a way. My, my clients were suffering. A lot of them were suffering. So many businesses across San Diego County had to deal with so much uncertainty this past year. Restaurants could open at limited capacity, then they had to close indoor dining, then they had to go back to takeout only. And everything was always changing all the time. For salons and other beauty businesses, for part of the time, they could only operate outside. In fact, I even heard about a waxing salon that was trying to do bikini waxing outside, which, yeah, it would be hard to convince customers to do that. Veronica's business, NOLA, did end up making it through the first shutdown, but lots of businesses like Project Rio Collective didn't. So for the past three months, I've basically been on this mission to find out exactly how many businesses in San Diego County have closed. You would think this would be an easy question to answer. I mean, honestly, you can just Google a business and see it's permanently closed. So it seems like Google would be able to produce some data that says, here are all the businesses that closed in San Diego County. And I'm sure they could do that, but they won't, at least for me. I also asked the city, the county, the Chamber of Commerce, the Restaurant Association. No one really had a set list of all the operating businesses that closed down. Finally, I found that the State Economic Development Department has a list. Yay, right? Finally. But they couldn't give it to me. Because the list? It's actually owned by this private company called Data Axle. So I gave them a call. Hi, Claire. How are you? Good. How are you? Good. Thank you. So I got on Zoom with Chris Fruwald. He's the vice president of data operations at Data Axle. He explained how his company even got this data in the first place. We gather it from thousands of different sources, and we use a lot of automation as well. But a lot of these sources are public sources, you know, including like secretaries of states for business registrations, county courthouses, other trade journals, uh, other business publications that we use as well. So they're looking for signals across the internet that a business might be closed. And then they route those signals to a giant call center to check on them. We have an automated dialer. So if we you know, find that the health of a phone line is disconnected, and that's a, a good indicator that the business is, is probably closed. So yeah, they collect all this data and then sell it. We opted not to buy the data, but Chris did give me some information. He said that in 2020, there are about 2,400 businesses in San Diego County that they have confirmed were closed. That sounds like a lot, but it's actually down from previous non-pandemic years. That was a surprise. But Chris cautioned, that's not a final number. It will likely increase as they confirm more businesses actually closed. Uh, that number you know, is closer to 10,000 out of around you know, 200,000 businesses in the entire county, which accounts for about 5%. 5% of all businesses. That's a lot. Chris also gave me some stats on what kinds of businesses were closing in 2020, mostly restaurants, food carryout businesses, physicians, and dentists. And he told me where businesses were more likely to close, 
For example, zip codes in National City and Oceanside lost half of their businesses since 2019. Meanwhile, some North County zip codes, like one near San Clemente, actually increased businesses by more than 10%. After a quick break, we'll get back to Veronica, the owner of the massage therapy business. Hello, podcast listener. Full disclosure, I'm going to make some assumptions about you. This probably isn't the only podcast you enjoy. Blink if I'm right. (laughs) It's probably not the only thing you watch or listen to on KPBS either. If I'm right about that, then I'm guessing you make it a point to check in on a regular basis to see what's new, take in the latest and greatest, and then you go back to your daily life until we happily come together again. We're sort of like a virtual buffet. When you're hungry for information and entertainment, you go to KPBS and want to eat, uh, consume all you can, right? Well, you should know that when you become a member of KPBS, you're keeping the entire TV, radio, and online trays full of fresh ideas, like the tasty podcast you're enjoying right now. Help feed your appetite for KPBS. Become a member today. Just go to kpbs.org, click the blue Give Now button, and make a donation. Thank you. And we're back. Okay, so Veronica made it through the summer. Barely. And then we got like a glimmer of hope around Thanksgiving. But she was still looking for ways to try to keep her business afloat. And one of the things many businesses were looking to were Paycheck Protection Program loans, or PPP loans. This money came from the federal government through the Small Business Administration, but was administered by banks. And they weren't actually loans. They're grants that don't have to be paid back as long as the business meets certain criteria. So right away, Veronica started looking into it. She called the local Small Business Administration office. The way that it was explained to me was that if I did the PPP loan, I would have to pay my therapists for like a month or two months or something like that, um, and they couldn't get unemployment. This is true, but when Veronica's business had to be closed, when stay-at-home orders meant she wasn't operating at all, her employees could get unemployment. And then when stay-at-home orders were lifted, she should have been able to get PPP funds to bring back staff or hire new employees. But Veronica didn't know that. So instead, she applied for and got another loan called an Economic Injury Disaster Loan, which she does have to repay. So then I took the EDIL loan because, you know, I was like, almost $30,000 behind in rent. Um, So I did it and the EDIL got eaten up by rent and Christmas alone. And then right after Christmas, there were new stay-at-home orders due to surging COVID-19 cases. And so she was shut down again. And so now I'm like, (laughs) this is like a lot of money. This is like how much I make in a year. And I owe that back to the government. And I didn't even get the chance to use it for what it was for. Okay, so it sounds like Veronica may have gotten some bad advice. And this was a consistent problem during the pandemic. 
especially for minority-owned businesses or businesses in lower-income areas that didn't have good relationships with banks. They didn't get as ready access to PPP loans, didn't get advice from banks or financial experts, and so they missed out on these opportunities. In San Diego County, when you look at the share of businesses receiving loans, there is a stark divide between North and South County. And remember the data about businesses closing? That tracks with this divide as well. The success rate for applicants from census tracts in low-income areas with large minority populations, mainly South County, was 5% or less. But travel north to affluent, mostly white census tracts in places like Carlsbad, Poway, and Encinitas, and the success rates are 96% or above. Lenders here gave just under 12% to businesses in majority Latinx census tracts. But in majority white census tracts, 61% of businesses received loans. Businesses like the one owned by Molly Boyd. So yeah, we've been in business for eight years now. Um, and through one pandemic. <laughs> so that's wild. Um, Molly owns Brill Hair Lounge in Carlsbad. And the beginning of the pandemic was a shock for her too. She, like hairstylists everywhere, had to close her salon. Her clients didn't take it well. It's like everybody started panicking, not only like health-wise, but like, I have to look good. I mean, I mean we are in California it's, you know, between social media and all those social platforms. Like people have to still look good. Molly applied for a PPP loan from her usual bank and was put on a waiting list. But instead of just waiting, she used her network of other Carlsbad business owners. So my other friends and people that I know that own small businesses were getting funded all around me. I was kind of like, okay, what are you doing? What, you know, what, what's the secret? Her friends told her about a bank that had no waiting list, and she quickly got funding. That bank, C3 Bank in Encinitas, gave 84% of its loans to businesses in white majority census tracts. But Molly doesn't see inequity in that process. You were a small business struggling during a pandemic. Yeah, that sucks. Like, big time, I, I bill for you because it, it's not easy. Um, but I also think you didn't put in the time and the work and the extra that you needed to in order to stay afloat, then you're just complaining. So I have to admit, this was pretty wild for me to hear. Someone who just doesn't seem to be aware at all about her own privilege and the inequities other people in other parts of the county face. I even asked her pointedly about these inequities. For example, business owners who don't have ready access to technology, don't speak English as a first language, or maybe don't have good internet access. But Molly wasn't having it. Yeah. It's hard to say like, oh, you didn't have internet. Like it's, it's 2021, like everybody has internet. And if you don't have it, then you better get a new phone or go to a place that has it. Like, I think that's a little unfair. So back to Veronica. There's no doubt that she put in the time and the work and the extra to stay afloat. But she says her network of business owners weren't any help. My friends and my colleagues, other business owners, 
hell, they're just as, as confused as I was. And it wasn't just the PPP loans. Business owners who are people of color and run businesses in lower income neighborhoods just overall had a harder time getting resources, keeping customers, pretty much everything. A nationwide study found that since the start of the pandemic, Black and Latino business ownership dropped by 41% and 32% respectively. Meanwhile, white business ownership dropped by just 17%. And this business failure trend could have really long-lasting impacts on neighborhoods. Businesses owned by uh, minorities tend to have less resources. So in a moment of crisis, they're less likely to survive. That's Juan Pablo Pardroguera, an associate professor of sociology at UC San Diego. He says family businesses are a big source of generational wealth, particularly for immigrants and ethnic minorities. They're better at spanning local networks, so they're better at communicating with people inside the neighborhoods, for example, and attracting customers on the basis of the connections that families have made. And they do not require massive capital investments. Part of the, the advantages of small businesses is that they become assets um, and they can be uh, passed on to other generations uh, as assets. He says if a business like a restaurant in City Heights or the sporting goods store in North Park or Veronica's massage space closes shop, there's a bigger impact on the neighborhood. So this is something that will and can possibly fundamentally reshape the way we experience the city. Neighborhoods that have more small businesses that are owned by Black and Hispanic owners will likely see more businesses that fail because of how the crisis is affecting them. And that means less re revenue generation in those particular neighborhoods. It means less services for people who live in those neighborhoods, also less availability of local employment. And all these negative economic outcomes in the long run translate into or lead to um, sort of worse educational outcomes, worse career prospects. But here's an irony. Veronica did see one small business surge over the summer, in part because she is a black woman. This was right after George Floyd was murdered by Minneapolis police, and there were massive protests across the country, a so-called racial reckoning, and a big push on social media to support Black-owned businesses. I'll just let Veronica tell one story about this experience. <laughs> I had a, a client come in, and she was so, <laughs> she was so excited to find I mean, she was a um, a white a white lady. She was just so you know, and she came in here and she had like her earrings on with like the Afro girl with the pick and you know, and she was so like she was so excited and she was hugging me and I was like, we're not supposed to be hugging right now. I'm like here's my elbow, you know, and she just she loved it and she was like, I she's like yes, she was like yes, and she just kept saying like yes, queen, and you know, she was so excited. And um, and I loved having her, you know, because she just she's so she's so light and so awesome. <laughs> but it was it was strange too because you know like I know that if I was not black, she probably would not have been here. <laughs> but it's awesome. Mm. 
but this big push to buy black faded out after a few months. Veronica got some new customers, but they didn't last, and she's lost a lot of money this year. I'm a disabled veteran, right? So I was using my disability to try to pad, you know, just so that I wasn't like $20,000 in back rent, you know, um, because I had the hope of being able to open back up one day. And um, doing that, I can't lie, I was dying a little <laughs> inside every time I wrote that check because I was wondering if I was throwing this money away and um, I didn't even know if we would ever open again. And then um, it got to a point where maybe once or twice I had to like dip into like my kids' college fund. I've got three daughters, you know, and I had to like dip into their college fund a little bit. And I'm just like, okay, well, this has to stop um, because I can't bankrupt my family with no other answers. Now let's visit another business, not too far away from Veronica's NOLA, where bankrupting the family doesn't seem to be in the cards. It's the middle of the day on a Tuesday, and Queenstown Public House on the outskirts of Little Italy is hopping. Groups of families with toddlers, girls in pretty sundresses, are seated outside in the dining areas set up on the street. Queenstown's owner, PJ Lamont, says the constant changes during the pandemic made things really difficult. And there were times where he thought he might have to permanently close one of the five restaurants he owns. But now, not so much. Since people were allowed to sit down and dine again, it's almost been like summer every single week. Like, it doesn't matter which restaurant it is. It just seems like people have been so, you know, stuck inside their caves for so long that everyone wants to be out and now that it's acceptable to be out. I mean, people are out, people are continuing to stay out and it's, it's a good vibe. This good vibe, this sort of boom time is being felt in a lot of businesses. That's according to the UC San Diego sociology professor, Juan Pablo Pardroguera. Because also many households received additional funds from the government, those that did not need the funds, for example, those that were still employed throughout the pandemic, uh, now have an additional few thousand dollars. And we are seeing uh, a, a heating up of the economy in certain areas. People have compared it to the Roaring Twenties after World War I, and of course, after the 1918 flu pandemic. But he says it's important to remember that not everyone is feeling this roar in the same way. It's something that we have to be mindful of because in those moments of, of growth, um, growth also tends to be something that is not necessarily equalized. So one of the issues with the businesses that were left out is that of course, they're in a worse position and uh, catching up is much more complicated because they have to compete with businesses that are now perhaps in, an, in a relatively better footing. Veronica was hoping to catch up, hoping for a big surge in customers as restrictions were lifted and people got vaccinated. 
but it hasn't happened as much as she'd like. I'm still getting the clients that are like, do I need to wear an effing mask? Yes. Licensing still says you have to wear a mask, so yes. <sighs> well, I'll just freaking call back in a month, okay? <laughs> like, I don't, I don't know what to do with that. She's also having trouble bringing back staff and struggling with childcare, like many others. I had a client call because they were wanting to know if um, we had a therapist that could be available to do massages for their evening crew. I wasn't working. I was done for the day. And I could have easily went and did that. But her three daughters, ages 5 to 12, weren't back in San Diego Public Schools full-time. So she needed to spend more time at home, and that hurt her business. So I've talked to Veronica repeatedly during the past year, and the last time I saw her, she was vaccinated, just like me and lots of people these days. But while there seems to be this lightness around some vaccinated people where they're reemerging, doing things they love again, and feeling hopeful, Veronica seemed more down than I've ever seen her and more fearful about her business. I'm so tired of crying about my business. Like, this was never supposed to be something to cry about, you know, because, like, the truth is, is that I... I'm living my dream, like, you know, I'm doing something that I love. I'm really, really, really helping people just talk to my clients. And I'm making a positive change. I, oh, I, I can be there for my kids, like, I'm doing everything right. And it's just like, nobody plans for a global pandemic. That is certainly true. But as we've seen, some businesses were able to keep their heads above water and come out of this pandemic with, well, a good vibe, especially those in the right place with the right connections. And for now, Veronica is really trying to hold on to her business for herself to keep this thing going that she works so hard to start and for her clients who rely on her for stress and pain management and who feel more comfortable visiting a Black-owned massage business. And for her daughters, if she can keep the business going, it'll be an investment in their futures as well. When I last talked to Veronica, she was sitting in front of a giant banner that hangs on the wall in her office. Its message is not really safe for radio. The public radio translation would be something like, don't mess with a frickin' powerful woman. And that's Veronica's mantra, that she's not going to give up. This KPBS Investigates episode was reported and written by me, Claire Tregesser. Emily Jankowski is the director of sound design. Kinsey Moreland is podcast coordinator. Elisa Barba is our editor. Lisa Morissette is operations manager. And John Decker is the interim associate general manager of content. Stay tuned for another episode of KPBS Investigates soon, this time about asylum seekers at the Mexican border and those finally done waiting. People now saying, the tent next to me is leaving because they're crossing to the U.S. finally, and that brought hope to people in the encampment, which also made people a lot more desperate for them to hear their, their cases first. That's next time on KPBS Investigates. <laughs>